gives me great pleasure this morning to introduce our speaker for today. Uh, Matt and Kristen Fraser are here with us. They are missionaries that joined our missionary team uh, back last summer, and this is their first chance to come and experience a service with us this morning. Um, I've known Matt and Kristen for many years. Uh, we uh, enjoyed many good times with youth group together at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Barrie, and it's just been an utter delight to see them serve and minister to the Lord over the number of years that they've been dedicated to uh, vocational ministry serving our God. They, they started their um, vocational ministry in, in Zambia and then spent a number of years in Ukraine and are now serving the Lord in Quebec, helping to train um, servants of the Anglophone church there. And um, yeah, it's just an honor to have them and their kids, uh, Anna and Emma and Isaiah and Ezekiel here this morning. Um, so we're just honored to have them and I just invite Ma uh, Matt to come and uh, share God's word with us today. It is, it is a privilege to be with you today. Uh, we would have liked to have visited earlier, uh, but uh, as things were with COVID, uh, that, that was not a possibility, but uh, we are glad to be here with you today and open God's word together. Let, let me just pray for us as we begin. Lord God, we do want you to speak today. God, we want to come uh, humble and lowly before you to listen to your word, to hear from your word, and to see your son and to honor him as we see our need of him and the great work he has done for us on the cross. So please, Lord, come be at work among us today. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Last summer, I visited my childhood home. I grew up near Bradford, Ontario. And the way I remember it, our house had green grass, well-kept gardens, a pleasant old barn, and a large paint stain on the shingles from while I was a teenager. But as I drove up the driveway last summer, the barn was gone, the, win uh, the windows were boarded, the grass was, or weeds, were chest high, and only the paint stain remained unchanged. And it hit me powerfully at that moment that although I had spent the first 20 years of my life there, this was not my home. And many people in this life find themselves on a quest for home. There's the refugee who can never go back. The middle-class family looking for peace and settledness in the new home, but only finding an echo. The young adult who has a perennial restlessness, always feeling the need to move on or that they were made for somewhere else. In our text today, we will see that to come home 
to really come home is to come to God. If you have a Bible, uh, please turn with me to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 57. Isaiah is a little bit more than halfway through your Bible. Uh, it's before Jeremiah, and you should be able to find Isaiah or Jeremiah. They're both pretty big books. So uh, turn with me there. And Isaiah also occurs uh, partway through God's story that he has revealed to us. God had created the earth and humanity so that they might love and honor him. And when Adam and Eve turned away from God, God did not turn away from them. Instead, he formed and called a people to himself called Israel. God made many gracious promises to Israel, including a promised land, a home where he would, in fact, dwell with them. Unfortunately, Israel did not trust God and instead disobeyed. When this happened, God drove them from his presence in his land into exile, just like he had driven Adam and Eve from the garden. The prophet Isaiah writing during the exile of the northern kingdom, and before, which was 722 B.C., and before the exile of the southern kingdom in 586, he looks to the future, and he's asking, how will God ultimately keep his promises to his people, about him being their God, about blessing his people, about blessing all the nations through his people? The promises to Abraham and David. And in Isaiah chapter 57, we're reading a part of God's response to the, these questions and to those promises. How would Israel return from exile and how would God make all things right? This is the context for our passage today. So let's read together. Uh, why don't you stand with me as we read God's word? Is that okay? If you can, if you can't, please feel free to stay seated. But if you can stand with me, please stand. Isaiah chapter 57, verses 14 to 21. He said... Build it up, build it up, prepare the way. Remove every obstacle from my people's way. For the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this. I live in a high and holy place and with the oppressed and lowly of spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the oppressed. For I will not accuse you forever, and I will not always be angry. For then the Spirit would grow weak before me, even the breath which I have made. Because of his sinful greed, I was angry, so I struck him. I was angry and hid, but he went on turning back to the desires of his heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating words of praise. The Lord says, peace, peace to the one who is far or near, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the storm-tossed sea, for it cannot be still. And its water churns up mire and muck. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. Please be seated. Uh, we're going to look at this passage in three parts today. The first pa uh, part is Isaiah uh, 57, verses 14 and 15, which is really a call home to Israel. The second part is Isaiah 16, uh, 57, 16 to 18, 
which is the way which Israel can come home. And then verses 19 and 21 of our passage are really a, a challenge, a call to choose a home for ourselves. So let's begin with verses 14 and 15. They're the call home. Although Israel had been exiled, uh, northern Israel had been exiled in Isaiah's day, they were looking, were looking forward to a future here where God is actually preparing the way for his people to come home. He's, he's building a highway. That's the language. And, and Israel would return home in a physical way during the era of Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. But, but more than that is in view here. Israel can only go home and dwell with God again because God has chosen to dwell with them. And we'll see this as we move forward. And this is really what this verse is preparing us for. As was mentioned, we served overseas in Ukraine. And one particular time, we were driving to another city called Dnipropetrovsk. And the road was, was the worst road I have ever driven on. And, and the, there was foothold, foot deep potholes. And we were swerving all over the road. And, and the kids were feeling sick. I was starting to feel sick. And the question was, maybe the road is just too difficult. Maybe we should just turn around and go home, actually. But, but the picture here is that God is actually making the way home for us. He is making the road home for us so that it is not difficult for us to turn to him and come home. God is open to us. And verse 15 presents this incredible paradox, this, this seeming contradiction of a God who comes to dwell with us. It says here that he is high, the high and exalted one. His name is holy. Isaiah, earlier in his own book, in Isaiah chapter 6, has a vision of God where he sees the Holy One of Israel. I'm just going to read it. It's Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. This is Isaiah's encounter with God. He, he gets a clear glimpse of God's holiness, and he fears death. God is set apart, distinct, morally perfect, and he stands against rebellion and sin. That, that's his name and that's his character. And, and moreover, he lives forever, as it says here. You know, our lives are a vapor, a, a gust of wind, but he, he was God before the universe was made. And it's no surprise here, as we look about halfway through Verse 15, it says, I live in a high and holy place. It, God had lived with Israel in their land, but Israel could not live, in God, live with God in their land. 
because of their sin. And it's obvious to hear that they cannot dwell with God in the heights, in his high and holy place. In our day, it is common to speak of friendship with God, and, and that's fine and good in a certain way. The Bible speaks of that, about uh, the idea of being a friend of God, about ten times. But the Bible speaks of the holiness of God hundreds upon hundreds of times. The, the Bible never says anything like, you know, God is friendly, friendly, friendly. But it does say that he is holy, holy, holy. And yet, and yet he dwells with the crushed and lowly of spirit. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. As John 1.14 says, and this is God's ultimate drawing near to a sinful people. It says here that he draws near to a people who are oppressed and lowly or, or broken and in verse 18, they're described as people who mourn. You see, Israel was, was kind of like a, a drug addict that had been seeking their own pleasure and joy outside of God. And, and what they were seeking their pleasure and joy in was actually destroying them. And the low or the mourners are those who realize that they can't meet God in the heights. That, that rather our rightful place is at the bottom. But that God will meet with us there. I think one of the most un uncomfortable things about COVID is that we've been forced to deal with ourselves a lot more. Whether that's been in parent-child relationships, roommates, husband-wife relationships, or even just our own thoughts have had enough time and a silence to emerge, and what we have seen has not always been good. Our anger over not being able to do the things we want, our sharpness and our selfishness in our relationships, and yet for those who will come and confess and mourn their sins, God will come and dwell with them. You see, this wasn't just an invitation back to a place. It was really an invitation back to God. And God dwells with them, it says here, uh, to revive the spirit of the lowly and the heart of the oppressed. God's intention towards his people was not ultimately death or discipline. God comes to dwell with and restore us. And it's, we'll look at this a little bit later in the passage, what this means. But God drawing near is actually about him preserving us as lowly people. This, this is the call home, verses 14 and 15. And the next section is how can we really come home? How, how is it possible that we, a humble people, that, that, that our God can come and dwell with us? And it's verses 16 and 18. Verse 16, uh, in many Bible translations, begins with the word for. It's explaining how God can dwell with us. 
How is it that a high and holy and eternal God can live with a, re a repentant people? And it's rooted in the fact that God relents. What does it mean to relent? Uh, it means that, you know, uh, when my son is playing soccer and his team is up 8 nothing by halftime, they don't keep scoring, even though they could. It's having mercy because you see the, the, the fragility of the situation. God will not judge forever. He would have every right to prosecute completely until every last drop of justice was exacted. His holy anger could remain without end. Hell could have been the only option. But, but the second half of verse 16 explains why it's not. Because God had created humanity. We, we, were, actually, we were actually a people created by God, and, and God's intention wasn't to create and then destroy to have us fade away before him and his judgment. There is a way back to God because God relents. He has mercy. And verse 17 gives us kind of the fullest picture of, of what exactly us going our own way look like. It says that God struck, and really when it says God struck here, it's a word picture. It's, it's uh, trying to help us understand there's kind of an uh, analogy of a master-slave going on here. And he had struck them because they had pursued greed. And really the idea is self-interest regardless of moral scruples. It's a summary of Israel's rebellious life. It's it's whether from the mouth of a child or from the mouth of adult, an adult. It's, I don't care if it's fair. I want it anyway. And so God had used the, the nations of Assyria and then later Babylon to devastate his people in some ways, to wake them up from their sleep of sin. And, and he, it says here, he hid himself from Israel. He had removed his favor, his kindness, and his blessing from them. And yet Israel responds, it says here, he went on turning back to the desires of his heart. There's, there's a YouTube video out there, I'm not sure if you've seen it, where there's, it's an interaction between a mother and a child. And the mother is telling this child that what he has in his hand is an onion. And the, the toddler responds by saying, no, it's an apple. And the toddler proceeds to eat the onion and continue to call it an apple. And, and the, you know, the toddler's just crying everywhere. He's a mess. But, but this is what we're like. You know, we face the own consequences of our actions. And, and often it just hardens us to continue in our own way. They would be gods. We continue in the desires of our own heart. We would have no master but ourselves. 
And God had lamented this situation from the very beginning of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 says this. Why do you want more beatings? Why do you keep on rebelling? The whole head is hurt. The whole heart is sick. From the sole of the foot even to the head. No spot is uninjured. Wounds, welts, and festering sores. Not cleansed, bandaged, or soothed with oil. Israel was destroying itself. And even when God had stepped in to to try to graciously correct them, that had just made them pursue their own desires that much more. And verse 18 brings us to the very heart of this, this paradox, this mystery, how a holy God can draw near and dwell with humanity. And I say humanity here because I think if you, if you look at this passage closely, closely uh, there's some global terms that are used. Uh, it's phrased in a way that it's not just about Israel, actually. And we'll see that as we go through. It's for those far and near. And verse 18 says this. I have seen his ways. God has seen all of Israel's ways. He's been taking it all in. God coming to dwell with us is not because he somehow did not notice our brokenness or rebellion or or somehow we cleaned ourselves up at, at the just the right moment and gave off the right impression when it really mattered. No, God knows our half-truths, our dreams of people praising us, our anger when our will is crossed, our our envy of the one who is is thinner or richer than us, or our, our hatred of the one who is more popular or successful. He knows all these things. And it all lies open before God. And yet he would heal us, guide us, and comfort us. God will no longer strike injustice. It says, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners. How does he heal? Well, in the second half of the book of Isaiah, uh, there's this figure that emerges called the servant. And the servant will be uh, both a person who restores Israel to God, but also is a light to the nations and brings the nations to God. But his path is one of suffering into death. But it is the servant who brings this healing, as we will see. And as the New Testament makes clear, this servant is the Lord Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 to 6. If you just want to turn back a few pages, you can follow along if you want. It says, Isaiah 53, 3 to 6. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet, he himself bore our sickness and he carried our paths. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all like sheep. We all went astray like sheep. We have turned our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. 
God relents from judging us forever because God the Father and God the Son planned in eternity past before the creation of the world that the Son would be stricken instead of us. He would be pierced for our transgressions. Hear this, the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Our healing flows through the death of the servant and our, on our behalf. And yet, and yet Christ was raised again and exalted to the right hand of Father, as we, as we know in the New Testament. And, and as we return to Isaiah 57, uh, healing is by the servant. Uh, but we not only have healing, we have a promise of leading or guiding. Instead of being a wandering people who had wandered away from God, God will guide his people back to him. He'll make us a people who walk in his ways. When Jesus died and rose again, he sent the Spirit to renew us, to make us a new people that would worship God. The way home, the way back to a place of rest that so many of us are hunting for is Jesus. Christ's wounds give us peace and healing. And I'm going to read briefly again a passage uh, or a portion of the passage that was read this morning, Ephesians 2, verses 15 to 19, says this. That he, Christ, might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to you who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. God calls us to dwell with him and to come home. The way home is healing through the wounds of the servant. We now turn to verses uh, 19 and tw to 21, which are really the call to go home. The, the transition between verses 18 and 19 is, is a very tight transition. Verse 19 begins with the words, creating words of praise. God is creating, uh, it's really the fruit of lips, literally. And what the idea is that God is creating a people who will praise him. And the word create isn't arbitrary here. Uh, the word create isn't used in the Bible like we use the word create. Actually, if you search the Bible, the only one who ever creates in the Bible is God. And, and so when it says create, it is God is creating. He is make, making something that was not there. And he is making a people that will praise him by his, his merciful acts. And this work of Christ, as it says here, brings peace. And peace is, you know, we've probably all heard the word shalom in some context or another. And that's what the word used here. And the idea is restoration of unimpaired relationship with God, with those around us, and with our world. Isaiah 52, verse 7 says this. 
How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who, procl- who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Uh, peace is God coming to reign, bringing salvation and setting our world right. And that is what is promised here. Many people, I think all of us on some level or another, have been tempted to think that the end of COVID will fix the pain in our lives. But, you know, when this stops, my life is going to be great. But at the end of COVID, we will still be left with ourselves. Likewise, lasting peace is not within us. Lasting peace comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we seek peace within ourselves, all we will come up with in the end is a storm. As we see in the next verse. And the peace is for everyone that is offered here. It's for those near and far as it was alluded to in the passage from Ephesians 2, the point is that because God starts the peace process, it's for everybody. You know, you don't have to earn enough points with God. You, you don't have to make up for enough sins. You know, the, the world may cancel you because you're not a good enough person, but Jesus Christ does not cancel you because of your sins. So, Option one is cast yourself, I cast myself, on the mercy of the cross and Jesus. And option two is continue to try to be God. To continue to pursue self and my desires above all else. And there, there is no peace. I read verse 20 now. But the wicked are like the storm-tossed sea, for it cannot be still, and its water turns up muck, mire and muck. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. God's justice and discipline continues to rest on those who will not return to him. There will, they will have no peace with God. As we talked about shalom, this, this kind of broader concept, there will not be peace with my neighbor and there will not be peace with our world. And let's be clear, it's not because these people aren't good enough. The whole passage is about people who turn to God and cast themselves on God. It has nothing to do with goodness. It has everything to do with turning. No, God is calling all of us to come and make our home with him that he might dwell with us. He's calling us to find freedom from our own desires, from our constant longing for approval, from, from addictions to social media, from, for the quest, from the quest from, for comfort that, that needs just one more purchase. God invites us to freedom. So it, if you don't have peace in your life or, or your life has been scarred by your rebellion from God, if you're, you know, as we sang today, if your sins are many, his mercy is more. He will heal you by the wounds of his son. God invites us away from the storm and into peace, a home with him. Let's pray together.
God, you are a God of mercy. You are high and holy, and yet you have come to live with us who are not. And God, we thank you that you have made peace between us and yourself through your son. By his wounds, we are healed. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And we thank you that it is not of our doing, but of yours. And God, we, we recognize that, that that's the only way any of us could ever come. God, we have no claim on you. We, we could never have a claim on you. We could never twist your arm or obligate you, God. But you have had mercy on us. You have drawn near. And so, God, I pray uh, for all of us that, that we would come and humble ourselves. For, for, people, for people here who, who maybe don't understand what this is about or who have never done this, God, I pray for them that you might help them see uh, that there's truth and that there is life in Christ and, and, and for them to come home and find peace with him. And God, we thank you that we can come to you by your son. We pray in his name, amen. I'm going to share briefly now about what we're doing in Montreal. Uh, that's my family. Uh, we're, we're the Frasers, as, as you already know. We've been in Montreal for about two years-ish. And Kristen and I have four children, Anna, Emma, Isaiah, and Ezekiel, ranging from 13 to 4. And we're a part of a mission called Cross World, and our, our mission has several units or families in the Montreal area. And our ministry, or our, sorry, our mission is focused on uh, mobilizing people from all sorts of different professions to make disciples in least reached areas. And I would say that our ministry personally looks like three different things in the Montreal area. The first one is gospel revitalization. It's up there, perfect. Uh, many churches in the Montreal area have suffered, and these are Anglophone churches we work with primarily. There's about eight, 900,000 Anglophones in, in Quebec, and the vast majority of them uh, are in the Montreal area. Many of these churches have suffered from both internal and external pressure. And I'm an elder at our church, Hudson Community Baptist Church, and I work closely with the pastor, discipling people in the church and also teaching. And our church is a church that is hurting and, and is spiritually stunted. There hasn't been really steady leadership or, or a lack of conflict in the church for the last 15 years. And so... Instead of seeing a God who relents portrayed in their leadership, there's, there's been anger and there's been strife. And so we're serving in our local church to try to restore the gospel to a central position and, and, and restore gospel-like attitudes to, to the center of our church. The second thing we're involved with is uh, my wife is involved with... Uh, counseling and discipling women, uh, especially hurting women uh, who have been hurt by the church or maybe hurt by family, and helping them find freedom and grace for themselves, but also forgiveness for those who have hurt them, 
Recently, Kristen was out on a walk with a woman because, you know, there's not too much you can do inside, or at that time, there wasn't. And she had been badly hurt by the church, and Kristen was helping her reflect on Christ's forgiveness and her fear of people. And at one point, she just turned to Kristen and said, where were you five years ago? Uh, as if to say, you know, there was nobody here for me, and I was experiencing tremendous pain. And, and there was no one to walk through it with me. And so Kristen has had the opportunity to do that with many women. And, uh, you know, COVID has only made life more painful for, for many, many of us, if we're honest. The third thing uh, that we're involved with is uh, uh, something called Movement Seminary. Uh, recently, very recently, uh, I've been appointed the director of Movement Seminary, which is uh, a new Anglophone ministry training institute. So some of you, depending who you are and how long you've been around for, uh, may have heard of SEMBEC, which is the educational branch, uh, branch of the Fellowship Churches in Quebec. And that's a long-established institution, and really uh, Movement Seminary has come out of uh, a partnership with, with Sembeck and working with them to train people locally. And I oversee the training process, but I'm also responsible for mentoring and training students myself. And, and the, really the training for, uh, the, the need for training is immense in our area. I would say there's about 23 churches that would be um, similar to us in our area theologically and how they understand the gospel. Uh, and out of those kind of 20-some-odd churches, only three of the people that lead those churches were locally born. Uh, all the rest are from the states or Ontario, which means th that, you know, 20 churches wouldn't have leaders uh, if somebody didn't come and fill that spot from somewhere else. And so the, really the need for local training so that people from Montreal can be leading churches and discipling people and training people is, is huge. So... Uh, how can you pray for us? Uh, well, a few things. Uh, can you just go to the next slide? One, uh, it's COVID, it, it's a funny time, so we're not going to have you sign anything that's paper, uh, but if you want to contact us or uh, would like to chat further with us, this is my contact info. Um, so if, if you want to do that, that's fine. Uh, and if you want to pray for us specifically, one, uh, as you are all aware, uh, and Quebec is a little bit different than Ontario in this regard. COVID is lightning, and that means some doors are opening again. And we are looking for opportunities to be sharing our faith. And please pray for us for those opportunities, open doors for the gospel, but also for boldness for us, uh, that we would take those opportunities and share Christ. The second thing is where we are is low on human resources. So there's lots for everybody to do. Uh, but that means that there's sometimes too much for everybody to do. And we need wisdom to divide our time well and understand exactly what God would have us do and, and be fruitful and wise in those things rather than just trying to do everything. Third, you can be praying for our family. Uh, as I mentioned, we have a 13-year-old and we also have a 4-year-old. And anybody who has kids knows that the, the challenges and the wisdom needed for parenting is big all the time for all of us. And so you can be praying that we would be uh, training our kids up in the gospel and to know Christ. So th those are three things you could pray for us. Um, 
I'll pray to close. Is there is a closing song? I can't remember. There's a closing song. So I'm going to invite you up here now uh, to, to close. And uh, I just want to thank you again for your partnership with us. I know it's been uh, a funny season, to say the least, and we, we would have liked to come earlier, but we, we would like to get to know you. We've got prayer cards out there in the back, and we would like to just talk with you. Uh, and please feel free to approach us. Uh, I hope we feel approachable and uh, connect with you as a church and as individuals. Thank you.